Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Tuesday. Not a lot going on in the world of USC athletics, but we thought we'd do a podcast anyway, just to kind of catch up and say hello since we haven't talked to you in a week or so. Yes, I'm being facetious. Lots of things going on in USC football. The Trojans gave the Stanford Cardinal a pounding going on a 42-3 run. You'd think that would be the big news, but no, uh, Lynn Swan quote-unquote, steps down as USC uh, as USC's athletic director. So we're going to talk about all of that with Keely Yor and Dan Weber. We got Keely in studio. We got Dan on the line. We do want to hear from you. Uh, maybe not as much as we did this week for <laughs> the podcast <laughs> questions are piled up very, very high. So we're going to probably have to rapid fire the entire thing. We'll do our best, though. Podcast at uscfootball.com is the email address. Thanks so much for sending all the emails in. Man, did we get a lot. We got voicemails, too. Text messages, Text messages, 424-254-9141 is the number. If you would like to call, leave us a voicemail. Or if you would like to text us and say, hello, this is what I want to hear you talk about, you can do that as well. Uh, Please give us a positive review, Apple Podcasts, uh, tell your friends about the show, Google Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, all the places you can get your podcast. Make sure uh, you let people know, hey, I like the Peristyle Podcast. I think you will, too. You got probably some USC friends that are a little happier after the uh, big win over Stanford. So we're going to get into that. We're going to get into the Lin Swan stuff. We're going to get into all of your questions. Uh, Keely, you're going to have to steer this crazy ship today. Keely, how are you? I'm good. It's a lot to talk about today. So we'll be jumping around from question to voicemail. It'll be a good podcast. It'll be all over the place. We've got Dan Weber, who's going to try to make sense of it all. Great column today from Dan on uh, where USC should go from here with the Lin Swan stuff. Make sure you check that out. Dan, how are you? Doing good. Yeah, I do think where where do we go from here is, uh, is the most important thing that's happening. A lot of... Interesting stuff the last three days, but uh, it's what happens next that really matters. Yeah, what happens next? We have no idea. This is just crazy. It's it's USC. Like this is how when you cover USC, this is the kind of stuff that goes on. You're sitting down eating lunch, and you get a text. Lin Swan is gone. You're like, oh crap! They've got a lot of stuff to do today. So um, that's it's that's you know it's kind of the way it is. Before we jump into all of that, uh, I do want to thank our sponsor. Uh, Trader Joe's, they've been so awesome to us uh, over the years. Um, I Hopefully, with the first two home games, you got a chance to go check out uh, USC Village, the USC Village, and go see Trader Joe's there. Uh, it's really a cool experience. People go over there, they'll buy their wine and cheese and beers and snacks and chips and all that kind of stuff and bring it over to campus or over to the Coliseum, and you can just do your tailgate right from there. So uh, great stuff. If you go to their website, make sure you check out the fearless flyer there's always some really fun stuff in there that you might like you know you want some freeze-dried strawberries that's on there they have organic pea protein powders all kinds of weird stuff hey broccoli and kale pizza crust you want to do something healthy all that stuff you can find on the uh, fearless flyer so thanks again to trader joe's and they also if you guys don't know and actually we had a a question on this too 
uh, about um, USC having uh, we, the Peristyle pregame show that we're doing uh, on KABC. So if you don't know, KABC is the new radio station home of the USC Trojans, and we have our own uh, radio show that airs the night before Friday nights. It'll be Thursday nights on the Friday games, but Friday nights before USC football games, we do our own pregame show, so hopefully you can check it out. Uh, somebody asked, I don't know if, where that question is, Keely. Uh, did you move it around? I put it up top, or did you get rid of it? Or uh, Well, I'll just say as a disclaimer to everyone, if your question does not get answered in this week's, or in this podcast, it'll be in a Ryan solo pod later in the week. Yeah, I'll try to do that. Um, maybe you put it in there. Yeah, oh, yeah. so you mentioned, so this was um, from Art in the Bay Area. Listening to television, you mentioned the show on KABC uh, at midnight. Is there a podcast available? Yeah, so we do put it up as a podcast as well, uh, right? So check your, you know, your drive into the Coliseum on Saturday mornings. You can get that podcast, um, and Trader Joe's sponsors that one as well. So thanks for that. But yeah, check it out. Uh, we do the podcast for it. But if you want to listen live, Friday at midnight on KABC, 790 AM on your dial here in LA. All right, Keely, since you got to be the... Uh, the, the captain of the ship. Do we want to go Stanford first and then get to Lynn Swan? Or do we want to do Lynn Swan and Stanford? What do you think? I think we have to open up with Lynn Swan and then get into the, the nitty gritty of the game. Okay. I like that. Uh, the, so we have the uh, Oops. breaking news. Lynn Swan, USC's athletic director, uh, no longer USC's athletic director. He has stepped down, resigned immediately. Now he didn't have a statement. Uh, he just kind of walked away, walk, you know, into the sunset, sort of like the other USC athletic directors that were football players before. Um, curious to see what happens from here. There was a, an email from Carol Fult, the new president, going forward, talking about, you know, what she wanted to do. She said she wanted someone with experience, which is, I think that's a good thing, which probably means it's not going to be another former football player. But if you guys listen to this podcast back on early, in early June, we had our live event. We had Arash Markazi on there, who had actually interviewed Lin Swan uh, a couple months before. And Lin Swan at that time said he wanted to be USC's athletic director for 10 years. He had been it for three, so he wanted seven more years. He didn't make seven more months. You've also listened to Bruce Feldman, who was there. He said, when given an over-under of October for USC getting a new athletic director, he took the under. So he felt this change was coming we had all kind of heard things that a change was coming. Now it actually has. So, Dan, let's get your uh, initial reactions to Swan being gone. Well, I mean, I thought uh, the only really breaking news was the moment it happened. I think it was so inevitable that it was it was uh, you know, in process. It was underway. There was no way that Lynn was going to go very far into this fall. Uh, with USC, I just think uh, I think the thing that maybe caught everybody is that it happened on Monday, uh, right before noon, uh, and that was like, oh wow, uh, right after the big uh, Stanford, uh, maybe the you know the best weekend in a in a good while, more than a year, obviously for USC football. Uh, so that was a little jarring, but the fact that it happened, not even I don't know. I, t I don't know of one person who thought Lynn was going to make it through the football season. I don't, I don't think any of us did. So, uh, so that wasn't a surprise. It didn't look like, you know, he was exactly allowed to sort of walk away, uh, you know, with, with grace and dignity I mean, when they 
say that you've resigned immediately and no statement and all of that, that sort of looks like they said, it's time you're resigning now. Certainly what it looked like. Yeah. Keely, any, did you have any initial thoughts? It was a little crazy for you too. Yeah. I mean, um, well, behind the scenes, I thought I plugged my phone in or the charger in overnight and it died. And so I woke up, charged my phone, making some food, came back up to 40 messages. And I was like, oh, my gosh, news has happened. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, like Dan said, we kind of knew this was coming. I think for me, I was more intrigued by the fact that Steve Lopes wasn't named the interim yeah. AD. It makes me think, OK, are there more moves coming? Is this just the first domino for Carol Fult? Yeah, I think it's a. I mean, definitely – Something that needed to happen. Um, I'm glad to see it happen. I think some people wanted it to happen like July 2nd, but, you know, that didn't obviously. But she needed some time. You know, we, if you listen, we did an emergency podcast yesterday with Bruce Feldman, who had some, uh, you know, information about, you know, what he had heard about th- this happening and everything. So he knew it was coming. Um, and, you know, he talked about that on the emergency podcast. So make sure you you check that out. But this, it's just it was inevitable. Like this had to happen. There were so many reasons to move on besides the fact that he shouldn't have been hired uh, in the first place. So uh, we didn't really hear from Pat Hayden. Uh, we're probably not going to hear from Lynn Swan for a while. He never, we didn't hear from him when he was the athletic director. Um, I know we have some questions about that. So maybe should we go to the uh, athletic director questions first, Keely? Uh, we can. First, someone said, does the firing of Lynn Swan mean we get the song girls back? <laughs> Yeah, what do you think? It's like that's it's sort of like when Ed Orgeron was uh, w- when he took over. What did he do? He like brought cookies back. Uh, you know, when when uh, when Lane got fired, he came. He comes back. He opens back practices again, and he brings cookies back to uh, training table. So you could do some. There's some low hanging fruit out there as the new athletic director. And if you come back, you know, you know what? We want the song girls at the the basketball game. It's really important. Everyone will just stand up and applaud. Yeah, back in the old days, they used to talk about how you never wanted to get in a fight with a newspaper or with anybody who bought uh, ink by the, uh, you know, the buckets full and all of that. Uh, I would say if you're at USC, you probably don't want to get in a fight with a song girl. <laughs> I'm just thinking, I'm just thinking there's no good way out of that. Uh, and I just an indication of maybe being a little tone deaf as to the kinds of things you I mean, when that's like one of the things you remembered for, yeah, probably didn't pick your uh, pick your things that you wanted to do uh, really uh, smartly. And uh, <laughs> dude, just thinking about it right off. now is baffling. It's like you're gonna you're gonna take over the post office. And you're like, no, what? I, I think I'm gonna remove the American flag. I don't I don't want this here. You know, it's like what like what what could you you like you were trying to upset people. Like I I can't even. It, it's still baffling to me that that happened. Yeah, it's just it's just as tone deaf as you can possibly be. It's just asking for it's like you know walking around with a uh, you know a sign on your back, you know, hit me or kick me or whatever. <laughs> I mean, it's just don't do that. It's just why would you make yourself a target like that? Uh, yeah, we got an email. No from, we got an email from Earl in West LA who says it's official. Carol Folt is the boss. So. The Carol Folt fan club is springing up on the the pair style. Yeah, uh, but- I don't think there was any doubt about that. I I, I think you know she's tiny. I mean, when she came out of the you know saying congratulating the team Saturday night, and you just realized that the day she was at practice and they put that jersey number twelve on her that went down to her ankles or whatever. <laughs> I mean, but 
she's a boss. I mean, she has a, there's a look about her that, you know, uh, she's going to do it her way. If you look at the committee that's searching for the new AD, that's her committee. She's in charge. She's got her people on that committee and they're going to do what, what she wants them to do. And, uh, and that's what, that's what college presidents do. That's how they become college presidents. If you didn't know how to do that, you wouldn't be a college president. So, uh, so yeah, this was probably not her most difficult thing that she's going to have to do. Uh, as Ryan said, low hanging, low hanging fruit applies in a lot of ways. And, uh, this is one of those moments. I just think, you know, and, and for nothing even to do, I think with so much the athletic department, I think the varsity blues thing and the admissions uh, walk on issues and the three coaches that have been dismissed and the uh, Dinah Heinel, the um, senior women's administrator. I think that alone, USC had to respond to that. And, other than, you know, getting rid of the, the people directly involved in the coaches, they had to, to do something about the, uh, the way that whole, the whole department has been run and the administration and the lack of oversight. And I just think that alone would have been enough to, uh, to sink Lynn as athletic director. Yeah, it's funny. When people talk about, like, who would want to take, be USC's offensive coordinator? Who would want, like, when you to go someplace that has all these – positives but it's been run so poorly you could come in and just fix a few things and you look like a genius you know like you like oh graham harrell like oh let's let's throw let's have receivers get open we'll throw them the ball like he's amazing like because like, oh, they weren't doing that before it's it's crazy so she just comes in and goes you know what we're, we're gonna hire someone that's actually been an athletic director before and i was like you i this is brilliant. Like Carol Fultz, you're the best president ever. It's like, really? She's just doing stuff that's common sense that you need, needed to be done. And it's USC was so poorly run. Uh, it's good for her because you can come into a great situation. Yes. It's crazy. There's fires all over the place, but a lot of the fires were just, it's self-inflicted pain that you just do the right thing and they'll probably go away. Yeah, I mean, just stop doing dumb stuff. It's like the first rule at USC. Just stop doing dumb stuff. But that was very hard to get to get across. Um, yeah. Did you have another one, Keely? Or? No, let's get to the voicemail. Okay, here's a voicemail about where USC goes from here. I'll play it for you. Hi, what's up, what's up guys? This is Alex from Delta, Alabama. This question is for Mr. R.A. Ryan Abraham himself. Hey, Ryan, I listened to the podcast with you and Bruce Feldman. Great podcast. And I, I love the intake. Uh, what will be the timeline for the new athletic director? Um, fight on and beat BYU. Bye. Hey, thanks for the question. I'm glad you liked the uh, podcast. It was really nice for Bruce to jump on. Both of our phones were still buzzing uh, while we were recording the podcast. So it was nice to give us some some time there. Yeah, I mean, I haven't heard a specific timeline, but this was something that um, I don't think you really want Dave Roberts running your athletic department all that long. I think it's going to be something where they want somebody in place that if you do have to make a change at head coach uh, for the football team, that you have that person there. They've started reaching out to people as long as two weeks ago, according to Bruce Feldman, um, to you know put out some feelers there. I've, I've talked to some people that are in the industry that are like, you know, like for USC's football coach, yeah, every, there, everyone would want that job. But I've heard some people say that there's less, it's less, uh, you know, appealing 
to be the USC athletic director. I don't necessarily agree with that. Uh, but there, Dan had some really good candidates he put, put out in uh, his column, like I mentioned today. Um, and it's one of those things where I think they have to do it fairly quickly. But I don't know if either of you guys have heard timeline stuff specifically. I think the timeline, if you go for the top people, and I think that's all that USC should go for. I mean, they ought to go for somebody that you could say, hey, this guy's as good as or this gal or whoever it is, as good as anybody in the country, and USC deserves that. As I said, top three program all time in NCAA championships, top five historically in football, uh, you know, great uh, you know, metropolitan area, top 25 academic institution, all of it, you know, in a very competitive sports environment. USC has to get the best. This is not for an up-and-comer. This is not to find, you know, I'm, I'm kind of stunned by some of the, articles that have been written about here are the candidates and they've got people from you know and this is not to denigrate unlv or nevada reno or whatever but come on now that's that's not where usc should be going uh look what they did and they had a you know kind of a serious dust up with the dismissal of the marshall very popular marshall school of business dean jim ellis and what did they do they came back and hired the dean of the wharton school that's what you do if you uh if you've got, you know, an issue like that. Um, but he's not coming in until next year. Could they, if they wanted, say, somebody like North Carolina's Bubba Cunningham, could they wait till the end of the year? I don't know. Uh, the same with uh, Jim Phillips at, at Northwestern or Greg Byrne, uh, who was at Arizona and certainly on the very short list before USC took Lynn and he went to Alabama. Uh I don't know. Would those people be available? That's a because you want the best, and are the best going to be able to just pick up and leave, uh, having just started a new academic and athletic year where they are? Uh, that'll that'll be an interesting um, situation to see how how do you handle that? Because I don't want them to just go. Well, let's go down to the next tier. Uh, I don't think so. Let's get one of the very best people in the country who's done everything and, uh, and bring them in here. Cause the person that's going to lead USC's athletic department, think of some of the challenges they're, they're going to face. I mean, what do you do going forward with the PAC 12 and who gives some leadership to the PAC 12? That's not coming from the conference. And what about, you know, is there a possibility of, of, of going independent, going the Notre Dame route, things going, you know, again at USC, those are some really big decisions that you've got to make, and uh, you really need somebody who's uh, capable of making those, who's been involved in those kinds of decisions. So uh, it's going to be uh, really interesting for this committee to, to figure it out. On the same line, we got an email from Eric in Duck Country who says, Ryan, Dan, and Keeley, why are none of the names suggested about a potential AD from the Big Ten or SEC? An AD from the conferences with the biggest TV deals might be a good place to start. Thanks, Eric in Duck Country. Uh, read my column, Eric. Yeah. <laughs> you got a big Dan mentions there. people you from got, there. <laughs> you got an SEC guy. I mean, uh, you're exactly right, Eric. I mean, I thought there's, there's, uh, early stories were just trying too hard to find somebody under, you know, under a rock or something. And that's not what they need right now. They were a little bit, uh, uh, West coast centric. And I'm not sure that's the place to go. I mean, if, if you've been in a pack, I think one, one of them had four pack 12 athletic directors. I mean, come on, the pack 12, 
those are the guys that have let the Pac-12 TV contract go into almost oblivion that, with no exposure and no revenue, and nobody raised any, you know, hell about it. They just, just, it just happened. Uh, if it were to be a Pac-12 athletic director, he should stand out so greatly uh, among the rest of them and, and should be the leader in the Pac-12, and, and we're just not seeing that. So, uh, so I would, I would think you're exactly right. SEC, Big Ten. Is a, is a good place to look uh, at this point. And, and the ACC, they've done a great job in, in starting their new TV network that's already uh, in, in week one has surpassed uh, the Pac-12 in, in almost every way, that, you know, revenue and, and uh, exposure and all that. So, uh, so I think you need outside uh, people who are bringing in new thoughts and not afraid to, to go there and take USC with them. We have one final AD question, and that comes from Steve, USC class of 97. He says, I just finished listening to the emergency podcast with Bruce Feldman discussing the resignation, quotes, unquote, of Lynn Swan. I love Bruce, but I about drove off the road into a ditch when I heard him mention Mark Jackson as a possible candidate. Anyone who had a hand in selecting Sark over Chris Peterson should not be allowed to set foot in Heritage Hall. Do you think they'll make a clean break from someone with USC ties for the AD hire? And do you think they are f- effectively clearing the deck in order to make a football coaching change at the end of the season? Thanks and fight on. Steve, USC class of 97. Hey, Steve, real quick. I talked to Bruce again this morning for a little bit. And I mentioned that. I'm like, dude, people did not like that you had mentioned Mark Jackson. I, I don't think maybe it came off as he was kind of advocating that. But I think that's someone he felt that they would talk to uh, because of the fact that, you know, he was around USC and he, he saw some value in knowing some of the warts and where some of the bodies are buried that would be valuable. I'm like, yeah, I could see it, but I just think you've done that too much. You have to kind of break. I want to see the guy come in, just have no idea the mess that's there and just, just lay waste to everything is be like, this is the worst run thing I've ever seen. We're going to change this, 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 and this. Um, but when I talked to him this morning, it didn't sound like he was like, oh yeah, I think Mark Jackson would be the best hire. It seemed more like that's someone he felt USC would probably talk to. Yeah. I, I think, uh, the interview with Mark Jackson goes something like this. Did you advocate for the hiring of Steve Sarkeesian? Yes. Next. <laughs> no, that was be a one question interview. <laughs> Next. I mean, really, I mean, I, I think there aren't. That many mortal sins, but that might be one. Uh, that was an unbelievable setback to USC at a time where maybe they could have made some progress. And that was just, uh, that may be the, the, you know, the thing in your past that you just can't, uh, avoid. It's, it's just there and, uh, it's not, it's not going to happen. Yeah. It's not going to happen. All right. Before we, uh, jump into USC Stanford talk, I want to tell you about Seat Geek, some of those ticketing websites, it's just really hard to get tickets on. SeatGeek gives you a better way to get those tickets. With millions of live events and a price match guarantee, SeatGeek proves there's a better way you can search sports, live music, comedy and music, and more. SeatGeek has the tickets you're looking for all in one place in an industry that tends to stagnate. SeatGeek decided to stand out from the crowd. They built the fastest way to find tickets. So you can stop searching for the perfect seat and start enjoying it. A quick look at the app, which I have on my phone. There are over 50,000 five-star reviews. That's some customer satisfaction. They'll pull millions of tickets from all over the web, and then they'll get a rating for all those tickets on a scale of 1 to 10. 
And then they'll display them on an interactive seat map. So you can see where the seats are, how they're rated and all of that. So I check, like I said, I have the SeatGeek app on my phone. I usually check if my friends want tickets to USC games. I'll go right to there. So USC Utah coming up in a couple of weeks. You have $38 seats uh, in one of the end zones. A uh, lot of av- available. So you can see which ones you like, uh, which ones you don't, where you want to sit and what it's going to cost. And they help you do all of that. So right now, SeatGeek will give you $10 off your first purchase at SeatGeek. All you have to do is enter a promo code USC. So download the app, use promo code USC, and you will get $10 off your first purchase. That's promo code USC for $10 off your first purchase on SeatGeek. So make sure you check it out if you need tickets for any of the upcoming games. Nice. Yeah. So cool stuff. It is really cool. Like if you go check it out, you're like, because you want to see where the seats are and stuff. And you put like, you, so you're like, oh, I want to spend a little bit less, but I want to be better seat. You can kind of move it around and figure it out. So, cool. Yeah. Cool stuff. Well, let's dive into some questions about the game, not to be forgotten. Uh, first up, let's go to an email from Dave from Behind the Orange Curtain. He says, what do we call this air raid? Heard Ryan call it the Herald's Air Raid. Graham has said it, that his air raid is not the same as Mike Leach's. How about the Herald Raid? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. He calls it the air raid. I mean, uh, apparently when they're uh, practicing and he's trying to get them into tempo and tempo, and he, you know, uh, he he calls it the air raid. He just says, "Come on, you know, the air raid's coming. The air raid's coming." So uh, I'll just go with that. What the heck? Uh, it's his own version. There's no question about it. But uh, uh, it probably uh, wasted time uh, thinking about stuff like that. Although if something just sort of uh, you know, develops naturally. Uh, that's great. But uh, I'm going with uh, air raid. In the same vein, Otis wants to know more about it. He says, for USC's offense, do the wide receivers have routes to run or do they simply go to an open area? Well, it's a combination. Uh, they've got different uh, the, the different plays. They have different combination routes. And so they run those routes. But the point of running those routes is not to run the route, but to get open. So it, it, it's kind of a combination of the two things. So uh, good question. But that's it, it's just the combination uh how, how quickly they run them, how quickly they get where they're going, how well they know how to do it. I mean, that they get so many reps uh, in the spring. And then, uh, you know, they reviewed it in, in the summer workouts. And then they uh, started again in fall camp. And uh, they are just very familiar and it's remarkable that they gave four quarterbacks as many reps as they did. I mean, those four quarterbacks got more reps than probably JT Daniels got all of a year ago, uh, going into the first game. Uh, so they, they've done a marvelous job and it showed up, uh, uh, Saturday with a, a new quarterback and they were running better routes and more familiarity. It was stunning. I mean, that, that he completed if you take away the two drops, I mean, he could have been 30 of 33. That's almost impossible. I mean, really. I mean, that's Stanford. There are years that USC couldn't complete a pass outside the S marks against Stanford because Stanford just took those away from us. Now, there was a mismatch. USC's wide receivers against Stanford, um, you know, three of the four DBs was a mismatch for USC, no question. And they pretty much nullified maybe the best corner in America. Uh, so, uh, heck of a job by, by what they've done in practice to get them to where, where they were able to play, uh, Saturday. Just tremendous. 
Along the same lines, um, our friends over at Rainer Troy like to say, hey, if you're going to be bad, at least be Big 12 bad. You know, you want to see this fun. And that was, you know, they were fun to watch. We have a, a kind of a Big 12 uh, question here, uh, of a voicemail. I'll play it for you and get your thoughts, Dan. Hey, guys. It's Johnny from Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, I have a question regarding um, Graham Harrell's uh, air raid offense. I saw what they did against Stanford. Very impressed. But I've also heard from different people that this is a Big 12 style of football. My question is, how far can this Big 12 style football get USC in college football? And when when will this be worn out uh, with the type of defense that we have getting points put on? Can this type of football get us to a playoff or even a national championship? Um as we've seen Oklahoma, how they've done in the last couple of years. So I'd like to get an intake from either, either of you guys. Uh, thank you and fight on. It's pretty cool. That's the second uh, SEC country question uh, today. I think the difference is uh, USC, Stanford was considered, Stanford wasn't considered a Big 12 defense. Stanford was considered, and uh, whether you're talking about Big 12 offense or defense, I think one of the things that helps Big 12 offenses look the way they do is they play against Big 12 defenses. That's not the case uh, uh, with Stanford, I don't think. It certainly hasn't been over the years. So if you can, you know, do that against uh, against Stanford, that'll be it. And Washington's, you know, got the same kind of reputation for uh, a secondary that's athletic and physical and tough and all of that. So I, I don't know that uh, USC is getting to run that offense against um uh, a Big 12 type secondary. So that was the encouraging thing I thought uh, about it. I think if you have, I think the difference is USC is doing it with athletes at an absolute elite level that probably a lot of times teams go to the air raid because they don't have the offensive linemen, they don't have the running game, they don't have a lot of things to compete and this sort of evens things up. But as Graham has talked about, nobody's done it with the level of athlete, athletes that USC has at, at the receiver position, positions and maybe at running back now. I mean, the combination when you see uh, uh, what they're able to do when they get in the red zone with Vavai and Stephen Carr, I mean, two of the three rushing touchdowns, they were basically untouched. Uh, Stephen on a, on a sweep uh, and, uh, and Vavai going up right guard. And you can see how the... Um, uh, how you have to play pass, pass first against this offense, and it does open things up, you know, for the run game. So that gives them a little, maybe more, a little more balance than you might have seen, say, in a Mike Leach uh, air raid offense. So uh, and and with better athletes. So, uh, so we'll see. Uh, but uh, it's going to be an interesting uh, ride to, to follow along and see where this goes. In the same vein, you and Stephen Poway, Dan, are kind of on the same page. He says, what was really encouraging last week was the depth of talent that USC demonstrated, particularly particularly in areas of rushing and receiving. If you're a future USC opponent, it must be daunting to realize that not only do you have to prepare for the three big receivers in Pittman, St. Brown, and Vaughns, but also Drake London, Maneer McLean, and Devin Williams. And you have to prepare for tailbacks like Malapai and Carr, but also an apparently very hungry for playing time marquee step. Wow, what an amazing game to watch. I loved it. Let's hope this team ignores all the hype and continues to go to work each week. Fight on, Steve, in Poway. 
Yeah, Steve, I think the thing you would like even better is if they're able to run more than 77 plays. Now, obviously, Stanford is going to try to slow you down. That's their goal in every game and take as much time before they snap the ball and all of that. But it will be much more fun to see uh, a USC team, let's say, running 90 plays where maybe you've got uh, you know, a couple of more carries for each of the primary running backs. And then Marquis Step maybe gets, uh, instead of three carries, he gets uh, six or seven. Uh, that's what, and I mean, we saw a little bit of Drake London, a little bit of Minier McLean. I don't think we've seen uh, John Jackson yet, uh, but, uh, and, and Velas as a, as a receiver. So I think there are ways in which if they can start running more plays, and USC has chosen maybe not to go quite as much tempo as they possibly can or will, and that'll be interesting to see if they, if they go really uh a lot of tempo uh, and what that does uh, for a team with this kind of depth. And uh, I mean, I thought they kind of wore Stanford out as it was. Um, you can tell we get out you know, with five minutes to go and we're on the sidelines of the visitor and Stanford had that look of let's get this over and head up the tunnel. It's kind of time to get out of here. And uh, that's that look you used to see. Haven't seen it in a while uh, with opponents and, uh, uh, and that's a good look if you're USC. You want to see those teams that are looking like, let's just get out of here. This is this is not going to go well for us. Uh, later point in that email was about this team uh, being able to keep, you know keep your foot on the pedal and not be complacent. Jason in Longhorn Country uh, called in and, and said that too. This is, he usually has short voicemails. This one's like two minutes long. I'll probably get to cut it off at some point, but I'll give you uh, you'll get a gist of what he has to say. Hey guys, this is for. Dan, Ryan, and Keeley, and I just wanted to call and say, first of all, just a great win for our Trojans on Saturday, just a really good effort. But I did want to also say that I think that it's going to be interesting to see and incredibly important to for us, for this team to prove to itself and to everybody else that it's not just going to rest on its laurels, it's not going to get overconfident, and that it's going to be able to bring the same concentration and effort and commitment and attitude to every game week in and week out. Because as Dan brought up with the Boston College game, and I'd even bring up with the Texas game uh, a few years ago in 2017 after beating Stanford, it was pretty clear to me that we became overconfident and started resting on our laurels after that game and thought basically all we had to do was show up the rest of the season and we'd win. So, to me, it's going to be very important to show that we are going to come committed to play physical, fast, and powerful, and have an attitude about it, just like we did against Stanford on Saturday in the BYU game. Because let's face it, BYU can and will beat this USC team if we just show up thinking we're going to win by just showing up. So... All right, we'll we'll end it there. You got the gist of what he was saying. He yeah. sounded in better spirits, though. I remember last week he sounded very down. So yeah. at least he's happier this week. Yeah, and and, and rightly so after last week. Uh, uh, but uh, I think the thing that the beauty of of what you're seeing is the how competition works. It works for peace teams. Uh, it's the reason that Keaton Slovis is ready to step in because he competed like crazy for that job with three veterans and expected to win, which is pretty amazing. I, I don't know why he did expect to win, but that's Caden, and, and was confident about it. Uh, and you've got three running backs, for example, now. You think Marquis Stepp isn't competing for playing time? 
I mean, that's the, the beauty of, of actually doing that in practice every day uh, and, and not just penciling guys in and, and guys getting complacent and all that. I'm, I really want to see them uh, competing with one another. And, you know, Drew Richmond is the guy at right tackle. Is he competing with Andrew Voorhees for a spot? Uh, and, you know, and moving people around and all that. I, I really like that, uh, the, the way that's working out. And uh, I think the competitive part uh, is, is really, really important. And in this offense, I don't, you can't run it any other way. Uh, even if you're, you know, if you're going to just hand the ball off to Marquise, uh, I mean, he was looking for people to run over. I mean, uh, he was just, uh, I, I don't, you know, you look out there and, and didn't look like Stanford had anybody that wanted to tackle him uh, after a couple of runs. Well, that's the, that little message you send, send to people. Um, and uh, I think they're doing that. I wouldn't, and I don't think with this offense, there's the mechanism to just not really do anything. I mean, maybe they did it a little bit with a sudden change in the President's State game, and they were, and I think they learned from that President's State game. That looked too much like last year. And I think they realized that over the week they decided, look, if this kid's going to play, he's got to play our offense, and we got to run our offense, and we just got to do it. And uh, look how that turned out. I think they're saying, wow, that's that's how you do it. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's, I don't think they're going to sit on their laurels. They got too many kids that deserve a chance to get, you know, either to you know catch the ball or run the ball or, 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 or do the things that we haven't seen them do. I mean, look at all the guys that got in toward the end of that game, uh, that's really important stuff. We have an email from Mike, class of 67 in Portland. He says, what a complete victory. Everyone needs to get a lot of credit. Not only did we win big, but came back from being down 17. One person who has been huge in turning the program around has not been mentioned much is our strength and conditioning coach, Aaron Osmus. Both lines look much improved and seem to get stronger as the game progressed. We were more physical than Stanford, which I know which is known for their physicality. Our team is also uh, has much has a much better attitude, which I understand can also be attributed to some degree to Aaron. It's nice to see the Trojan gain a little swagger again and give Clay a little breathing room. And Clay actually mentioned uh, Aaron Osmus in his uh, Saturday or Sunday night conference call. He said that the biggest secret coming in was the O line, and he said that the the big men win games, and that Aaron Osmus had something to do with that. So he did get a little credit on Sunday. Yeah, and if he hasn't been mentioned in, say, the last 24 hours, he's got a ton of mentions uh, in fall camp. I mean, every single player who talked about what's the difference, as we asked every one of them, Aaron Osmond. And there were people, if you were reading the P religiously, they were saying, you know, that, come on, calm down about all these Aaron Osmond's, you know, ref- references and all of that. Uh, the, these were the, this is what the kids wanted to say about what had changed uh, things around. So, so Aaron might have gotten as many mentions as any um, strength coach in the country uh, in August, I would think. Uh, but now, you know, Keaton Slovis took took over the world uh, Saturday. So it was, yeah. it was Keaton. It was Keaton's place Saturday. Yeah, we haven't really mentioned him yet. Huh? <laughs> Is that funny? Yeah, that's true. That's that's funny. I like that. That's good. That's I mean, you know, we will, but it's cool that we haven't yet. True. Uh, we have a couple of questions about the O-line. Uh, Frank in Sacramento says it's great to see number 62 at center. He snaps the ball, protects the quarterback, and blocks well on runs. Often he made his initial block and then took on the linebacker. 
uh, on several of USC's runs, including at least one of the touchdowns. Um, and then, um, sorry, Uncle G says, Hey, Dan and crew, I know it's early, but the team seems better. Offensive line doing great. Brett Nealon, glad we have him. He should have played all last year. And Slovis, the Slovis kid has got some talent. Can't wait to see what our record is after the next four weeks. Biggest worry would be big plays given up on the, def- the D. Uh, thanks for the job you guys do and hope we keep rolling. Uncle G. Yeah, Uncle G, I, I like, uh, Brett Nealon is an absolute breath, breath of fresh air. He's so competitive. He, I mean, just today, he got to be, he got to 300 pounds in uh, July, whatever time it was. He was so excited. It's taken him two years to get there. And he's just describing the, the East Sick, uh, uh, regimen that, uh, Aaron Osmus wanted him to, to follow. And, uh, he's so enthusiastic about everything he does. Great leader, runs them to the football, gets them started when they're in tempo. Uh, it's just such a, that's a pleasure. And he's the guy, if you say, oh, who's blocking to the very whistle? And maybe even, and you look out there, it's probably, uh, Brett Neal. And he just, uh, he just seems to enjoy it. And, uh, that's what we didn't see guys that look like they really enjoyed the contact part of things or the physicality. This is an offensive line that, it kind of doesn't mind at all. And I know a lot of people were saying, uh oh, they're going to the air raid. They're not going to really, uh, come off the ball. They're not going to block people. I mean, there were a couple of plays where the left side of the offensive line just collapsed Stanford, uh, Stanford's right side of their D line, uh, with, uh, uh, Austin Jackson and, uh, Elijah Vera Tucker just crushed people. I mean, you couldn't find one of their guys. I mean, on the, on the touchdown run by Stephen Carr, it was like, where where was the uh, left side or the right side of the Stanford defensive line? They were on the ground. They were blocked. They had a USC guy on top of them. I don't think we've ever almost ever seen that. I thought USC blocked really well a couple of years ago when they beat them 42-24. But uh, that was impressive. Uh, what they're doing on that on the other line it, it's pretty neat to see. We have an email from our buddy Dan, class of 1962. He says, unfortunately for JT Daniels, he is the reincarnation of Wally Pip because Keaton Slovis is the Lou Gehrig of USC. Down 17-3 to and coming back to score 42 points for the big win was all because of Slovis. He looks like the reincarnation of Sam Darnold. He is calm and in charge of the offense with great passing technique. If he continues to play at this level in this scheme, he'll be the starting QB for the next three years, then follow Sam to the NFL. Simply, he made everyone around him look good, including the defense, which was inspired by the offense. Also, this game immensely helped recruiting. Bryce Young and other top players should want to come to USC to play for this team. As an old Trojan fan, this was the game that we hoped would show up, and it did. Congratulations to the coaching decisions, including the trust in Slovis to make that happen. USC can now consider every game as winnable. This game also showed that the next man up is not just a slogan, so take advantage of your turn when fate allows you to play. Fight on. Dan, class of 1962. Yeah, I couldn't say it a whole lot better. I, I, I probably might say to somebody what I think, you know, might happen and in, in playing out over the years, but I think that you probably don't need to do that because again, two weeks ago, this was JT Daniels team. I mean, you just, there's so many things that can happen in so many ways that, that, you know, that this can go. I think, you know, the one game at a time, one week at a time is plenty. And just get through this week and then, you know, get through next week and, and go from there. And I know it's fun for fans to extrapolate all the way out uh, the next three years. Uh, you know, if you want to do that, uh, focus on, and, and if, as much as you don't want to say this, I know I've heard these guys 
talk about uh, looking down the road. They're really excited about getting Brew McCoy back next year for the opener against Alabama. Uh, there, there are thoughts in these kids' heads about we're going to be ready to play that game next year. But, but I won't say it. I'll let you guys say it. Yeah. But, uh, you can but think I, about it. I would pump the brakes. It's fun to think about. Yeah, I would pump the brakes a little bit, uh, Dan, classified yeah. to 62, Dan, because this was one start at home against a Stanford team that's kind of beat up and might be kind of not that good this year. We don't know. But I, I think Slovis played well. But watch the first two drives from the opener against Fresno State against a good defense. JT Daniels looked really good. I mean, so there was – I think this offense is way better than what they were running. I don't think it means like Slovis is the, the you know, the second coming. He might – he very – he very well could be, but I would just be a little, you know, you know be cautious. There's some, some room for caution. cautious optimism. Yeah. Ca- yeah. That's good. But he, he was well, very I, impressive for an 18 year old kid. You can't, you know, no doubt about that. Yeah. It's ridiculous. I think they win the game with Matt Fink as a quarterback. I mean, you know, no doubt they win it with JT uh, as a quarterback. I will say this, uh, being on the field at the end and watching the two teams walk off, uh, you've never seen uh, a different a disparity in the physica- physical type between USC and Stanford like you could see after that game. Stanford's kids just aren't as big, aren't as strong, and as obviously aren't as fast as USC's kids. I mean, they've got some, but yeah. when you look at the whole team, uh, you know, you've got Colby Parkinson and and um, uh, the corner Paulson, what a diva, Paulson uh, diva, uh, yeah. Uh, He's a stud, yeah. And uh, yeah, and uh, you know, and KJ uh, Costell, obviously, if he, he's playing, but uh, but the numbers are on USC side, and the, the just the offensive line. If you watched USC's offensive line in Stanford, uh, USC had the studs. I mean, USC could really. I mean, when you've got an offensive line that's basically six five and a half and three ten to three fifteen for the guards and tackles, they look like. They look like players. I mean, that's what you want these guys to look like. And uh, and so there was a difference. It was surprising, uh, the difference uh, physically between the two teams, seeing them up close. The, the Stanford really wasn't in USC's league. And I, I don't know when was the last time we could say that, but it's been a, been a while. Earl in West L.A. sent us two questions. First, he says, he brings the conspiracy to the pod. He says, I recently heard that Keaton Slovis was Graham Harrell's number one choice, but he compromised, agreeing to make JT the starter as long as Slovis was the backup. His postgame comments seemed to give the theory some life. What do you think? As far as his postgame comments, he was directly asked, why didn't you name Keaton number one if you saw what he did tonight? And and Harold reiterated that it was an open competition. If, if Keaton wanted to be number one, he could have showed it. But there were freshman mistakes that factored into him being the backup. So that's what Harold said about it. But, Dan, I don't know if you have any other thoughts on that. Yeah, I, I would throw away all those conspiracy theories. Oh, uh, Clay uh, had a deal with JT or Clay wouldn't. No, I was, uh, Graham made the right call. I mean, I, I was a little questioning – I thought there was no no doubt where Graham uh, where uh, Keaton could get because Graham sees him way more than we do and is around him more in the quarterback room and all that and he was so confident that he was the number two guy. We didn't see that. I mean, we saw every day in practice, but we didn't see that translated to the two scrimmages in the Coliseum where, say, a Matt Fink went 18 for 22, three touchdowns. 
whereas uh, Keaton didn't throw a touchdown pass through the only two interceptions. And you wondered, was that too big a jump for an 18-year-old? Well, as he proved the other night, holy, yeah, no, it wasn't. I mean, that was beyond belief that an 18-year-old could do what he did in terms of confidence, in terms of running that offense. I mean, I think the one advantage he's had, and he wasn't better than, than JT in, in, in all of August. JT was clearly a better quarterback and probably will always have a better arm, just arm, just strictly arm talent than, uh, than Keaton. But say you have to throw that uh, touchdown pass to Amon Ra and you've got to put some air under it. Uh, maybe JT wouldn't have, had, wouldn't have had to do that. But it might not have gotten through because of uh, Keaton's ability to throw, put air under that ball. And now they were kidding about, oh, did he put too much? The only way he could have gotten it into the double coverage with a guy within a yard in front and a guy within a yard uh, on the side was to drop it in uh, with some air under it. So he just seems to fit the mold that Graham Harrell has for this offense. And you could tell that's what Graham was talking about uh, when he – you know, uh, JT, for example, has the ability with his arm to maybe make throws that other people can't. And there are times he may try too hard to just use that arm. And whereas Keaton seemed to have the ability to stay alive, the ability to look down the field when he's uh, avoiding the rush, which is amazing that he's not worried. He's not looking at the rush. He's looking at his receivers and giving them time to find some uh, open space. Uh, that was amazing. He looks almost perfect for this offense in terms of what you want a quarterback to be able to do. You don't want him really taking off and running with it. That was probably, you know, kind of a problem for Jack Sears, maybe uh, too quickly because of his ability to run the ball, too quickly to decide to tuck it and go. Uh, they don't want that. But uh, a couple or three times a game, if you do that when it's appropriate, that's fine. He didn't seem to get that balance exactly right. Uh, but uh, it was not a uh, conspiracy. I wanted him, uh, you know, Graham saying I wanted him as the starter, but it was a compromise. No, I think if Graham would have wanted him to start, he he would have started, I, I think. I, I think Clay has really gone hands off. He, I mean, he knows what happened last year with uh, deciding that Toa Lobendon was going to be the starting center the whole year. It just doesn't work, and uh, so I think uh, I think it happened just a natural way that it happened, and uh, no uh, no conspiracy theories there. Uh, the second question that Earl said was, "Do you th- uh, Clay Helton has a sketchy record on the road at best? How big of a test do you think the BYU game is for Clay?" I think it's just a test period because uh, now you've had this big big win, and you've got everybody telling you how great you are. I mean, oh my, how many times do you think Keaton has had people just, you know, go nuts when they just see him or run into him at class or anywhere? I mean, it's just uh, handling that, is, that's a big deal. Uh, for the first time in a while, USC's had a win like that. Uh, and then going against Brigham Young, which maybe doesn't compare to Utah and uh, Washington and Notre Dame, the other three games, so I think this is a test for Clay and for these kids to show that they can be all business going on the road, going on the road. I mean, uh, to be honest, that was more fun than the home games by far when Pete was rolling. Is you those kids would have rather played on the road, 
they like showing up at other stadiums with everybody yelling at them and, and quieting them down. And uh, you want this team to kind of develop that sense of um, we're going to come here and we're going to do our thing and you're going to get real quiet while we do it. And um, this is a good place to start. Uh, Brigham Young's got maybe not the, you know, the most talented team physically, but they've got like how many 24 and 25 year olds and guys that, you know, fourth and fifth year, uh, you know, kids and guys, you know, coming off, uh, you know, misses and all of that. And when you're going to bring them young, they're going to hit you and they're going to be, uh, you know, they're not going to back off and they're, 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 uh, that's a good test for USC, I think, uh, this Saturday. So, uh, so I think we'll see. Uh, but this is a, a perfect time for them to find out what it, what it's like to go on the road. Uh, with Brigham Young coming off their, uh, you know, kind of amazing miracle win and overtime, two overtimes, whatever, at Tennessee, their fans are going to be fired up. And uh, it's going to be uh, it's gonna be fun. Uh, I would think if I'm a USC player, I want to go into a Brigham Young where they're going to be all fired up and, and you get a chance to say, okay, we'll, we'll show you what we can do. And uh, so it's, it's a big week for USC. All right, we still have a ton of questions uh, left to do. We'll probably we'll go through these kind of uh, rapid-fire mode, but okay. we're going to take a quick break. We'll come right back. Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice, and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> Heaven! Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. All right, we're back here on the Peristyle Podcast. Like I said, we'll try to rapid fire these last you know, dozen or so questions we have. Uh, we got one more voicemail or two. Well, there's two more. We'll play one right now. Here you go. Hey, this is Curtis from Moreno Valley. I want to talk to you guys about your picks. Congratulations, Keeley. You picked USC. You still have faith. You went with the Vegas picks. They, we're not talking point spread. I'm just talking win or lose. Ryan, you and Shotgun went against Vegas. Haven't you learned now? that they know what they're doing. USC is favored. Not talking point spread. I'm talking win or lose. We're going to win. I don't care if it's by one point or 50. Curtis from Moreno Valley. Curtis, you know USC's record uh, against the point spread is awful. (laughs) So, like, that's probably not something you should be saying. But, okay, yeah. It was a good feel thing. Wait a minute. Two and 12? That's not so bad. Yeah. USC has done ridiculously so one and 12, poorly. I don't know what it was. Yeah. yeah. Now it's two. <laughs> yeah. So that's been, Curtis, you know, 
And I guess Keely does had did have faith. It was a gut feel thing. Yeah. It was it was. I go with my gut now. I don't think Curtis will be too happy to know that I in the preseason I predicted that USC would then go to lose to Utah, UW, and Notre Dame coming up. So oh. I don't know if I readjust that, but. Thanks, Curtis. Yeah, Curtis, the, make sure you call out. it and com- complain about Keely doing that. So <laughs> I'm sure he will. Yeah, oh. She has no faith. <laughs> we have an email from Chris Davis, uh, class of 65. He says, dig way back to the 1962 national championship team, if you will. John McKay played two quarterbacks all year long and not because of injury. Not to get ahead of ourselves, but as Dan says, just saying. And he says, from the frosh, the frosh blocking dummy for that team, Chris Davis, class of 65. So Chris was on that team, apparently. Cool. Very cool. Yeah, and, and, and USC had a few uh, national championship teams where they actually played two quarterbacks. Uh, heck, they won a national championship with a third-string quarterback in the Rose Bowl, uh, who have got a big uh, uh, tribute to him uh, uh, where they uh, ended Duke's perfect season and all of that on a on a late pass, and uh, which I could remember his name right now, but uh, uh, just he's he had multiple quarterbacks uh, and success. So uh, what the heck? We'll see uh, see where this goes. We have a email from Lawrence in Chandler, Arizona. He says, I've been spending some time on other teams' message boards, and it seems that all the Pac-12 is afraid of is this team putting it together. Why do you think other fans see a change in the team, but not necessarily USC fans? Thanks, Lawrence. Well, I think some of them are, are locked into their uh, you know negativity for the last however many months. And that it was, it didn't matter if you said, well, they're doing this differently or they're doing that differently or they really do have some talent or whatever. They always say, yeah, but Clay Hilton's still the head coach. Yeah. And it's kind of hard for them. Maybe, you know, some of them have backed off, but, uh, but, but I do think it's interesting when you go to, and, and this happened in, and it was obvious in 2011 with, with, uh, uh, Lane Kiffin's team that, uh, just, uh, blossomed and it went 10 and 2 and whatever i guess was that 11 yeah it was 11 um and you go to stadiums who were a little excited because they knew usc didn't have the numbers it was starting to get the uh the ncaa uh penalties were, were kicking in a bit and they weren't sure what was what they were seeing with with usc and as soon as usc started running the ball especially uh it got really quiet, uh, in places like you know, Oregon and Notre Dame. And, um, I remember Arizona for some reason, it, and they were all fired up and it, the place just completely got quiet because it was one of those things where they were going, uh Oh, USC starting to look like USC again. That's not good news. And, and if you went on the message boards of the various Pac-12 schools this, this week, you were reading people saying, uh-oh, USC is starting to look like USC. They look pretty good. They're not so screwed up as, as last year. And, um, and that's a good thing. And USC has to go, especially on the road, and remind them, hey, we're USC. Remember us? This is how we play. And it's, uh, it's something USC's got going for if it can get there. Uh, and I was listening to the quarterback at Texas for the um, uh, last week's game with LSU, and he was talking about, um, uh, he said, programs like USC and LSU and whatever, he said, Texas, 
they aren't going to be down for long. They're always going to come back. And uh, maybe he's, uh, he picked the right year for USC. Yeah. Sam Ellinger. Um, yeah. It's Ellinger, funny because yeah. I do uh, the Pac-12 podcast and we get a lot of tweets and they'll follow me. Uh, so we talk a lot of Pac-12 stuff. And the responses I was getting from yesterday, USC firing Lynn Swan and looking to try to, you know, make things right. They were not, they knew, they know how dysfunctional the USC athletic department is. And they know if they bring someone in to get it right, it's going to be trouble for their school. You can only, you know, keep the the 900 pound gorilla down so much. So they're like, whoa, 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 back off. Like, no, keep hiring football players. Like, you know, Clay Hilton, they should stick around for a long time. Like those are the kind of responses they get because they know you put the right person in there and they don't have a chance. Well, some of them, the, the happiest they were is they figured out, you know, if Clay Helton keeps winning, they won't hire Urban Meyer. Okay. <laughs> that's a good thing. It's like they're, they're wishing for Clay Helton to keep winning. So USC doesn't hire Urban Meyer because they all know what that would mean. <laughs> it's like, we don't want that. I mean, everything, I think every board I went on, uh, trying to get the pulse of the Pac-12, it was, maybe they won't hire Urban Meyer now. We have a question from Sin City Trojan 21. He says, it was a great feeling in the stands watching this team come together and make that win happen. Late into the second quarter, the farm was driving and there were under four minutes left on the clock. This is before we got the ball back and scored that late touchdown. My question is, why doesn't Clay Helton look at the game clock and use his timeouts better? I understand that we were able to get the stop and score, but there was the feeling in the stands at the time that Stanford was being Stanford, keeping the lead and running the clock out. Even when we had the ball for the last drive of the first half, it seemed like no one was watching the time and we might blow the chance that we had. There were only 35 seconds when we got the touchdown. As the head coach, he's the only one who calls the timeouts, so it's not like there would be any other anyone else to blame for this. I've never liked the idea of saving your timeouts for any reason. Thank you for all the information you give to us fans. Sin City Trojan 21. I'll tell you what, I like the way they ran the clock. I, I think if you can score with 35 seconds left, you've done it perfectly. I mean, that's just... Uh... As, as well. So I thought that was a, a definite move in the right direction with this offense. And it's going to be a different way of, of clock management and a, and a different way of looking at things. So it might take a little bit of adjusting as we go through this. Uh, but, but I thought I wasn't, wasn't real pleased with, with the Fresno State game. But, uh, and I think what did they end up in the second half with three timeouts left? Uh, that's good clock management as far as I'm concerned. Um, so, uh, so I think I think they're getting there. I think, I think you know it, it hasn't been a strength in the past, but that a lot of that was because the offense was so not a strength, and they didn't know what to do or how to do it. Uh, just the idea they're not getting guys uh, uh, jumping on sides or or uh, you know uh, illegal procedures and all that kind of thing. So uh, I think I think they're moving in the right direction. All right, we got uh, one last voicemail for you. Here we go. Hey, Ryan, Ivan from Redondo Beach. Uh, I just got to say, they, they need to play Marquis Step a little more, man. Um, he showed some promise last night, uh, and uh, he, he looked real strong on the carries he got. He got him too late, so um, I think they should play him a little more. And Devon Williams, I, I keep saying it, man. They got to play that kid a lot more. I think they gave him only a few plays, so uh, fight on. Yeah, I think that's the, where I'd like to see Kempo run more. So they get more plays. I mean, Stanford obviously going to try to slow you down, take away as many plays as they can. But uh, 
I'd like I'd like to see USC just put put the pressure on teams and and kind of try to wear them out with their depth and in the you know as a result get more uh, more than three carries for Marquis Step, more than six carries for Stephen Carr, uh, and more than just a couple of passes for the for the freshmen and for Devon and 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 John Jackson and and, and Velas and those guys. So so I think the uh, answer to that is uh, is run more tempo, run more plays. We have a kind of stream of consciousness from Jack from New Jersey, but I'll go for it. He says, Keaton Slovis, wow, what a performance. Dan has had a a guy crush on JT. Now, what say you, Dan? I really don't want to hear speculation about a future quarterback controversy. Let's just enjoy Keaton's talent and ride this wave. I'm not a big Helton fan, but as Al Davis used to say, just win, baby. And that's exactly, exactly what USC football is doing again. I think maybe the coaching staff did do a little sandbagging on Stanford because Saturday night looked like the full Armageddon on offense. The defense thought they were playing flag football in the first quarter. I guess Clancy had to explain the rules because they really woke up once they realized they were allowed to tackle people. Only downside I saw was the foolish penalties late in the game. I know those kids were excited, but they must control themselves. I know Dan and Coach Hyde are going to comment on that. Great win. Great enthusiasm. The Coliseum was alive again. Let's hope they get 10 or 12 more wins. I think 10 is now realistic, Ryan. Jack from New Jersey. Yeah, I think uh, uh, the more you look at, uh, at, at the quarterback thing, uh, I don't think anybody honestly would say uh, Keaton's got a better arm in terms of just sheer uh, delivering the football. But he delivers it really efficiently, quickly. It comes out of his, as, uh, as Graham was saying, in a, a real good spin, real good zip as it leaves his hand. Uh, but I don't think he relies on his arm completely. Uh, and I think, you know, as it turns out, that may be a, a you know, a benefit in this offense where you, you know, re- rely on your mobility, uh, your ability to move uh, receivers around. For example, uh, if a guy's not in perfect position, I think JT tends to think my arm's good enough. I'll get the ball in there. I'll beat the defender. Whereas, Keaton might say by, you know, taking a couple more steps uh, as he moves out of the pocket and giving his guy a chance to get a little more separation so he can get the ball. That may turn out to be a little more efficient in this offense. Uh, So I think the big question about uh, Keaton was, did he have enough time to get there? And we hadn't seen him for three weeks uh, in practice. And, And again, the two scrimmages were kind of subpar for him based on what he was doing in regular practices. So you thought, okay, how is that adjusted? And for him, who did need to do some adjusting upward in his scrimmages, to come out and play in a game like that with all that it meant for USC and against the Stanford, it's, it's almost inexplicable that he was able to get himself to where he got himself to the other day. And, uh, you know, he just couldn't ask for any more uh, from somebody running this offense. And again, that's what Graham was seeing, and that's what Graham was talking about. Uh, it just uh, we hadn't seen that Keaton hadn't done it yet, but now he's done it. But uh, but I think the offense truly is quarterback friendly. I think there truly is a plug and play element uh, where all these guys can do what they do uh, best. And I think all of them could be successful in it, but uh, Keaton looks like just a match made in heaven uh, for the way he ran that offense the other night. 
We have one final question, and it's from Daniel from Los Angeles. He says, all the positivity surrounding Clay Helton being 2-0 from the Sunshine Pumpers is expected. However, my question is, don't you think that Clay Helton's margin of error is now smaller than the catch by Santonio Holmes to win the Super Bowl for the Steelers? Don't you think uh, everyone needs to really ask themselves, now that USC seems to be hiring a real AD, is that person really going to put his slash her reputation on the line by keeping Clay Helton without a Pac-12 championship win or a college football playoff berth this season? Daniel from Los Angeles. Yeah, his margin of error is small. There's no question about it. That hasn't changed that much. Uh, and, and I think in some ways, the higher expectations that are built up with uh, Saturday's game, uh, you know, kind of puts that in a, in a different place. So the, uh, with, with a higher expectation, you may not have, uh, you know, the margin of error may be even smaller uh, because you know, from Saturday, the only way almost to go to, is down. I mean, they played such a, a perfect game in so many ways, even came back from uh, – being you know being down a couple of touchdowns and that we haven't seen before so all right well i guess it's going to wrap it up here uh on the peristyle podcast lots of newsy stuff to talk about usc heading to provo utah take on byu this weekend make sure you check out tunnel vision thursday night we'll do a preview of usc byu i'll have a podcast uh, talking to uh, the publisher for the 24 7 sports byu site to get some more information about uh, the BYU Cougars, who are one and one right now. Uh, you guys, Dan, Keely, you guys will be there in Provo. So hopefully you guys have some good stuff coming out of there. On the road. We'll be there. Hitting the road. Yes, we will. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Yeah, we'll be there. And uh, don't forget to check out our uh, pregame show, the Peristyle pregame show, Friday nights on KABC Radio here in Los Angeles. You can find, you can listen to it online as well, but 7.90 a.m. on your dial, and then we'll have a podcast up uh, early Saturday mornings. You could listen to it before the USC-BYU game. But that's Keeley. That's Dan. I'm Ryan. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast, and we will talk to you next time. You may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets. People ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique, interesting, and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. It's all in the way we do business. We buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible. This helps to keep our costs low, and we pass those savings on to you. No gimmicks, just great values at honest prices, every day at Trader Joe's. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.